Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor Whiteway. Hopefully most of you will have experienced the joy of reading a good book and will have got stuck into a healthy discussion about what the book made you feel, think or do. But how can we build these experiences for children that are finding reading hard? This week we speak to Etna Kennedy, an Associate Professor of Literacy Studies at Dublin City University. We talk about how reading, writing and oracy are linked, how we can build engagement and love of reading, even in those that are having difficulties reading, and how teachers may have to change the way they approach reading to develop these skills. Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. Today we're going to talk about your work into engagement in reading. I just wanted to start by asking you what led to you doing research in this area. I was a classroom teacher before I went into teacher education. I was a classroom teacher for about 14 or 15 years uh, in Dublin, but I, I taught mostly in advantaged communities, not in marginalised communities. And then I went to the States and I taught in the States. I did my master's in New York. I was a reading specialist. So I got very interested then in kids who were having reading difficulties and then when I came back to Ireland I started working at the teacher ed college and I was looking for a topic for research for my PhD and around that time there were a lot of studies coming out highlighting the gap in attainment between children in disadvantaged and non-disadvantaged schools and so I thought well that's something I wanted to concentrate on. I wanted to see what were the issues and how could we actually help to help those kids succeed better. And my research now is really focused around working with those disadvantaged schools and working with teachers and whole schools to try and help them build that balance between the explicit teaching of skills, but also the motivation and engagement piece and marrying the two together and trying to give kids that sense of, well, I can be a reader, a writer, a thinker. Giving them the opportunity to engage with literacy in the higher levels, I think, and not a diet of skills and basic skills, which is often what happens in the disadvantaged context. We're going to talk a bit later about how you brought together reading, writing and oracy in the intervention that you developed. But first, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how engagement in reading affects attainment. There's a very complex relationship between engagement and um, reading attainment. And there's a whole host of research studies out there. So I suppose the main thing that we find out is that the kids who succeed well at reading, they're, they're intrinsically motivated. Like they're reading for their own purposes, for the pure enjoyment of it. They read widely. They satisfy their interests. They're very social about their reading. They like talking about their reading. They get absorbed in books. They get that like a uh, flow experience where time gets lost and they, they just dig into their books. And then I suppose because they enjoy it more, they read more and they read more widely. And we know that compared to the kids who have low motivation, the kids who have high motivation read at least three times more than the kids who have low motivation. And so the more you read, the wider your vocab gets, the more your interest grows, and that has an impact then on attainment. So it's really about that intrinsic motivation and having that early success. And I think the, 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 that early success builds confidence and a sense of self-efficacy, a positive self-concept. So kids feel, well, this is something I'm good at and I enjoy it. And so they continue to grow and grow. 
And it's really interesting how you talk about early attainment because you can really see how that could snowball and have an impact on how engaged children want to be in reading. Exactly, yeah. And Stanovich's early research in the States, he, he called it the Matthew effect. Like he linked it to the Bible story, the rich getting richer and poorer getting poorer. The more you read, the better you get and the more sophisticated language patterns you encounter in books, your conceptual knowledge grows, your vocabulary grows. And so if you don't engage and you, 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 you don't feel confident with your reading, you don't read as much. And so it's a double whammy. You're disadvantaging yourself even more by not engaging in reading. And that really highlights the importance of schools from very early on, helping children to feel successful in reading and to feel that competence. Yes, exactly. Building their confidence and building the little steps of success along the way so that they'll, they'll feel that, that success, they'll maybe embrace the challenge and, and rise up to the expectations of the next level that's required in, in, in reading. And you spoke at the beginning on your interest and your move towards working with schools in, in marginalised areas, and a lot of your research has really focused on that recently. So I was wondering, what do we know about the impact of poverty on reading and reading attainment? Yeah, I suppose, that, again, it's a very complex relationship, isn't it? And so a lot of it goes back to the, the social inequities, the, the gap in income between lower and higher SES, SESS communities. And so children living in poverty, they're more likely to have parents who are unemployed, undereducated. They'll experience instability in their lives, maybe social ills in the community, addiction, violence, that kind of thing, which will impact their emotions coming to school. And then if your family have low educational achievement, education achievement is linked to income so low attainment leads to low income and then if you're struggling as a parent to to make ends meet on a week-to-week basis you don't have that disposable income left over to spend on books or the educational materials that might make a difference to to kids so there's less interaction about books less access to books in the in the home and that i think makes a big difference so that early start and those early foundational experiences with literacy that more middle class affluent homes have children don't necessarily have them so that reading with kids and the interaction with the books and maybe opportunities for more cultural things be able to take field trips go to museums galleries if you don't have that disposable income you're not going to be able to provide that for your children another i suppose aspect is the summer slump when children get out of school in the summer they're maybe at home for two or three months if they don't have that access to books and reading and they're they fall further behind. Some of the research says that they, that they fall behind by up to about three months. The, the reading achievement of children in advantaged communities doesn't seem to drop. So that, that really makes a difference, the mm-hmm. summer slump. And then another piece, I suppose, it's a, it's a thornier issue, like the current policy focus is on accountability, high stakes testing, evidence of growth, and that kind of can narrow curriculum. And so it has an unintended consequence for classrooms teachers start focusing on the score and the literacy scores rather than maybe thinking about what are the wider higher purposes of literacy and children get a more constrained curriculum maybe as a result yeah and your intervention and work which we're going to talk about a bit later was really about widening that back out and moving away from that rote teaching yeah some of the research internationally shows that kids and who struggle with literacy and kids in marginalized communities they get a greater focus on basic skills slower pace to instruction a more fragmented experience because they're more likely to be withdrawn from the classroom for support and then lots of skill and drill and workbooky kind of activities so they never get to the higher purposes or the fun 
complex parts of, of literacy that make us want to read and write more. And if we return to that hypothesis we were talking about a bit earlier, you can see how those struggling at the bottom that are getting real skill and repetitive teaching are then going to struggle to build that sense of engagement and enjoyment of reading and literacy. Exactly. And Nell Duke's work in the States, for her doctoral work, she looked at the literacy provision for 10 high SESS schools and 10 low SESS schools. And she concluded that really curriculum is operating along socioeconomic lines and the kids who are in the lower SESS communities are getting a qualitatively different experience of literacy. And to draw in some other research on poverty and attainment, we know that even when children start school, those from lower income are already behind. So it really feels like schools should focus very much in those early years of, to, to help children catch up and to help build the engagement that may not be there when they join school. Yeah, and I think balancing attention in the, in the early years too. So yeah, the skills are really important, those foundational skills, the phonics, the sight words... They're important because they give you access to to literacy, but also paying attention to the higher order piece as well, looking at the comprehension, giving kids opportunities to think and talk about books, grow ideas, getting across to them, I suppose, that reading is about thinking, and it's not just about reading the words and getting the words right. Mm -hmm. So a broad, interactional, high-quality oral language approach to the literacy piece as well is really important, and opportunities to write as well. Phonics becomes important when you have to think about how do I spell something and put something down on paper. So the writing piece is also critical in the early years that they get that experience of composing and putting their thoughts and ideas on paper. And I know that the work you did was over a long period of time and involved expert teacher mentors who were already very skilled in building engagement in reading and introduced staff to lots of new CPD, and also use what they already thought was working well. But I was wondering if you could just summarise some of what were the key features of the intervention and the reading and writing groups that you developed in the classroom. Yeah, well, I suppose, first of all, teachers had to become aware of what they were doing and what was working well and what wasn't and what the research had to say. So what we did find was that maybe there wasn't enough time being devoted to literacy every day. So gradually they commit up to 90 minutes a day. They'll do a 45-minute reading workshop, 45-minute writing workshop. And then they'll have reading groups. And we did find a lot of it was at the senior end was ability groups, which wasn't working so well. And we needed to get a sense of what was actually happening within the literacy time every day. So we got a small group of teachers within the intervention who agreed to record their conversations in literature discussions with kids. And when we analysed those together with the teachers, they were taken aback at how much they were actually talking within it. In the first week when they sent in their recordings, the teachers were talking probably about 70% of the time and the children 30% of the time. And the levels of questions that were being asked were kind of more who, what, when, where questions, not the higher order questions. So we did a lot of work then around how do you get that conversation going? How do you get that deeper interaction going in, in the classroom, giving teachers the kind of talk moves that they needed to make the discussion more interactive and to get the kids actually invested in it so that they began to see that reading was thinking about growing the ideas, constructing the meaning together. And so it took a bit of time. Um, Teachers over the next eight weeks worked really, really hard on that. And we recorded again in week eight. And we now had the the conversations more balanced. It was 50, 55% child talk, 45% teacher talk. 
and the teachers had moved more towards a mixed ability grouping. So they were able to give the kids more choice and control over the books. What we encouraged them to do was to give book talks and maybe five or six book talks, and then the kids would vote which book they wanted to read. And they did it in writing, so they didn't know who else would be in their group. So they really focused on which book they were interested. The groups were convened then according to the children's interests, which was really very interesting because you had some children who were maybe lower achieving in the same group as the child who was higher achieving. That had an impact on children's self-esteem and their engagement, and they began to engage that a little bit more. And then learning support teachers would support those children who maybe chose a book that was a little bit more challenging. They could preview with them. So that mixed ability grouping was really important. The choice of books was really important. And then the teacher taking that back seat and giving the kids more control and encouraging more dialogue. Those pieces were really important. Yeah, and I find what you were saying about the teachers having to learn to wait and change their teaching style and be happy with silence, really interesting part of that programme. Oh, yeah, they, had, they found that really hard because, you know, as teachers, we ask, we ask a lot of questions and we're used to questioning and looking for answers. And so to take that step back and not to be directing and to become more a part of the group and a facilitator of the group, rather than the director of the group was really important. And then the kids did actually begin to engage more. But again, it's about the quality of the book too and that the kids actually have are reading a book that they're interested in and that's actually worth, that's got complex characters and interesting plot, moral dilemmas. And so it'll, it'll get that dialogue going. And in this project, teachers collaborated on thinking about questions that develop this kind of discussion and higher order questions to develop thinking. Were there any examples of those questions that you could share? Yeah, it was really around characterisation and characters' motives and why might characters have behaved in that particular way, what might have prompted it. And the kids coming with, we called them juicy questions. So rather than the teacher having the questions for the kids, the kids were encouraged to develop their own questions for the, for the discussion. And teachers modeled how, the kinds of questions they had. So I, I think it was about putting an emphasis on questions that the teacher didn't know the answer to and that the children might not know the answer to and that let's, let's see what we think and let's grow it grow an answer together. And I guess that counteracts some of the things we were talking about at the beginning about lack of confidence because there is no right or wrong answer and no one else knows the answer either. Yeah, so we use some of the accountable talk procedures that Lauren Resnick's work did and helping kids provide evidence for their thinking so that they were accountable for the, the hypotheses they might have had or the predictions or the thoughts and going back into the book and saying, well, I think it's this because... So critiquing and analysing and synthesising ideas was really important. And then the comprehension strategies, like what were you visualising when you were reading that? And how do you think the character might have, might have felt? Empathy for characters as well. The moral dilemmas that the characters face. Well, what would you do in that situation? Most recently there, we had a reading initiative with some of our schools when, during the lockdown and COVID. And we had a reading together while staying apart initiative. And the children read a book called Resistance by an Irish author called Brian Gallagher. And in that book, it's historical fiction, but the Nazis actually have invaded Ireland back in the 40s. And so there were loads of moral dilemmas there. Like, would you have collaborated with them? What would you have done if you'd been alive in that time? What did you think of the character who did? So it's about books, I think, and ones that will tap into what kids are interested in. So I think books that have that kind of complex characterization, believable characters, interesting plot, 
it's going to generate that conversation if the space is created for kids to have the conversation. So I think it's about time and, and space as well and valuing that dialogic piece. I mean, there's a whole host of research there to say that the more dialogic a classroom, the better the achievement of the kids. And that holds true even for children in disadvantage. And that leads us nicely on to the idea that you connect up reading, writing and oral skills. So could you talk about that a little bit? In the junior classes, we have a split 30-30-30. So they'll do 30 minutes in a reading workshop where the focus is on the interaction around the book, the higher order thinking skills, the vocabulary. They'll also then do a writing workshop where they choose their own topics to write every day. And the teacher will do short little mini lessons around the children's needs and stage of development and around the genre. So they're building their knowledge of genre. And then they'll also have 30 minutes of very focused word work in the early years so that they do get the phonics, the sight words and the fluency piece going, which they're foundational. But by the time they get into the senior classes, they say from the children age 8 to 12, it's more 45 minutes reading, 45 minutes writing workshop. And they get that every single day. And that's a bit of a challenge in the Irish context because the school day is very short. We also have an Irish language to teach and children have religious education. So getting that 90 minutes is really difficult and teachers find that hard to commit to. But if they do that 90 minutes a day, it kind of signals a priority and a value on literacy. And the kids see it's there's a predictable routine, a predictable structure. I'm going to read every day, I'm going to write every day. And that builds its, its, its own momentum. And then within the reading workshop, they're in their reading groups. So they're smaller groups. If they're mixed ability, they're reading with their peers. They're reading something that they're interested in. There's follow-up work so that they can develop their comprehension, vocab, fluency skills as well. And then they also have their writing workshop. So they're getting to write every day. And the work in reading supports work in writing. And then the oral language is built into it each day. Like in the writing workshop, there's oral language at the heart of it because the teacher's modeling and demonstrating lessons at, you know, techniques in the start. She's conferencing with them. So there's a lot of dialogue there. And in the share session at the end of the writing workshop, they're responding to the writing, giving each other feedback. And that becomes more sophisticated as the year goes on. And as they learn more techniques around writing, they're able to give more sophisticated feedback. And it feeds into the reading workshop too, because then they're beginning to look at the reading and how did the author craft that story in a way that made me wonder or laugh or cry. So they kind of work together in synchronicity, the the, the oral, the reading and the writing. And choosing the writing topic was a really important aspect of that. Yeah, so we let them choose the writing topic, but the teacher would choose the genre. So over the course of a year, they'd have an, an experience of writing poetry, informational writing, report writing, persuasive writing. So it would switch around and teachers would recycle back into those genres maybe more than once in the year. So they're getting a wide experience of writing and then they read in the genre in which they're writing. And a lot of what you're saying seems to map really nicely onto self-determination theory. So the idea that competence, which we spoke about earlier, choice, which you've just spoken about, and the relational aspect. And so maybe that's what they get from having lots of conversation. And those are what underlies being motivated to do something. Yeah, I I think, and the kids love it. They love being able to have that choice on on a day-to-day basis. They love the opportunity to think and talk. It's their favourite part of the day in school, a lot of them would say. You know, they look forward to it. It feels like a reading club or a writing club. More so than a skills-based, I have to do the answer the questions, I have to do the workbook page. It's a very different experience of what it is to be a reader and a writer. 
it's really nice hearing them describe it as a club rather than a lesson, like you say. And you've spoken about a book there that really inspired the young people. So I was wondering for you, how important is the quality of the books that are part of the programme? Oh, I think it's incredibly important. I mean, it's very hard to, to get stuck into a book that's kind of boring, something that you're not remotely interested in reading. I find that myself. I'm in a book club with colleagues and work. And so I have read like a wide range of books this year, but some of them haven't really engaged me. And I, I think that's the same for kids. You'll get better growth for them and achievement for them if they're reading stuff that they're interested in. So I think the quite quality books is really important. So we put a bit of effort into that and showing teachers how to access those because we can't be with schools forever. So they need the tools to, to stay up to date with children's literature as well. So what websites, looking at children's book awards, tapping into the libraries and so on. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a critical part of, of teachers' repertoire of skills to know about children's literature and where to go and where to access those books and how to stay up to date. But I think it's also about talking to kids about their interests too and trying to figure out what kind of things they are interested in reading. And so how would teachers listening to this take what they're hearing into the classroom to develop the practice, the literacy skills of the children in their class? I think the, the most important thing is, is to think about, like, teachers are the key to change. It's what they value and what they give time to in the classroom. That's what gets promoted. So it's thinking a little bit more deeply about and critically about your literacy framework and how are you spending time? What kind of things are the kids doing all day, every day? Because the way you teach it is the way they're going to view themselves as readers or writers or thinkers. So you can shape their attitudes and dispositions by thinking a little bit more deeply about how you how you do it in the classroom. So promoting that wide reading, promoting the social and relational aspects of reading, the dialogic piece, developing that skill to read as well as the will to read is really important, balancing attention to the skills, and then just being part of a professional learning community yourself. Can you get a professional learning community going within your school? Because we find that with the schools we work with, when teachers work together and they have those professional conversations, it builds then from one year onto the next and the kids will get many years of high quality instructional experience when a whole school kind of works together and then involving uh, the parents in it as well and explaining to parents about what you're doing and why you're doing things in particular ways and, and build in their engagement. Yeah, so I think the time piece is also critical, that predictable structure and time every day because it does signal a priority for the children. And from listening to you, I'm wondering if there's something there also about patience, children not being used to this way of working, expecting more direction from the teacher and them needing to learn over time how to do this. Yeah, I mean, certainly when we went in to do that in-depth work around what was actually happening in the literature discussions, it took eight weeks of hard work of teachers coming together sharing their successes, their frustrations, when it was working, when it wasn't working, supporting each other. Like there were points there after three or four weeks, they were thinking this is not working. The kids are the kids are not able to rise to this. And then bit by bit, it just took off. So it does take patience. Like how to have a conversation. The kids weren't using words like I agree with you, I disagree with you. They didn't have that exploratory level of language, like maybe, so. They didn't have that conversational piece to share their explorations or their initial thoughts. So it took a bit of time. But yeah, I think persist with it. It's, it, it will work if you take the time. Yeah, I think taping yourself, taping yourself and your conversations with the kids in a small little literature group is really illuminating. That's one positive step to take and listen back to it and say, whoo, 
Yeah, I'm sure it's very enlightening. So if you went into a classroom, is there one thing you would like to see in the classes that encourages this engagement that we've been talking about? I think I'd like to see a buzz in in the room and we try to get teachers to have maybe three groups going in the classroom to have that mixtability piece going. So time with the teacher, when they come to the reading group, that it's not the teacher hearing reading and the kids reading out loud. The emphasis really is on the discussion. So the children come to the reading group and time with teacher having the reading done. They have their little post-it notes. They've got their juicy questions. They've got the vocab they think may, may be interesting or they liked the way the author said a particular thing. And then they come together and that becomes the focus. So a lot of times in the beginning when we when we would work with schools, the focus is on hearing reading and the kids come to the teacher's reading group and they, they take turns reading out loud. There's maybe some vocab work. Maybe they're then sent off to answer questions on the text. So... I'd like to see that shift where the focus is more on the reading is done, come to the group, let's discuss it. And then we can unpick where the confusions or difficulties might have been. And maybe towards the end of that reading time with teacher, if you want to hear a little bit of the reading, you can hear children maybe read a passage or a little bit and focus on their fluency and and really work on the fluency skills. So it's not reading just to check that they can read the words. Mm. And even for me, the things you've been saying about mixed ability grouping is unusual in some classrooms. So maybe it's just starting with that as well. And teachers are very sceptical about that in the beginning. And like, what do you do if they pick a book that's way too hard for them? And in actual fact, that didn't happen too often. But you can scaffold the choice of books as well. And you can make sure there's a range of books within it. And then building the learning support team in, they can maybe preview some of the chapter with the children before they come to the reading group. So you can build supports then, even having audio books, audio versions of books. The children can listen as they're reading along. I think the mixed ability groups, the teachers who've managed to do that, get the structures right, get the consistency going in time, they're, they are making a difference to the children's achievement um, because the kids became so energized about what they were doing. But I think it was the combination of the oral, the reading and the writing. Etna, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. It's been really interesting listening to about all your work. Thank you very much, Sarah. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for listening. You can find out more about the research that Etna's discussed in the podcast description. And if you like this episode, then please do subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum and you can email us on theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.